women were on this journey. A journey that was full of sorrow. Sorrow over a great loss. They had been at the foot of the cross. Unlike most of the apostles who had run, these women had stayed with Jesus through the entire process. And they stood at the foot of the cross. They had seen Him die. They had heard His last words. And on top of that, they hadn't had a chance to, to pay respects as they would have wished. And so on this Sunday morning, they're coming to anoint His body. And they're so full of sorrow, so full of grief, so full of what they're dealing with that they don't even realize until they almost get there that they have no means of actually getting to His body. That they have no way of actually getting into the tomb to, to treat Him, to take care of Him the way they had planned. But all of that sorrow, all of that grief, all of the the things that they were dealing with, all the struggles they were going through. So many of what we're going through today is, is matched in what they were going through on that in that day, on that moment. All of that was about to change. And what's interesting about how Mark tells the story as opposed to how the other gospel writers tell the story is that Mark bases everything he has to say on the account of others. It's all about the testimony. It's all about the, the communication of what they encountered, what they went, went through, and what they encountered in that moment. And that's important especially for us because we too function off of testimony. We weren't there that Sunday morning. We are operating off the testimony of others. We're operating, first of all, the, the testimony of the divine. The angel speaking here. And notice how the angel addresses the, the situation, the detail the angel speaks with. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Why, is, why does he go into this Jesus of Nazareth? Why, why does he mention that? These women knew who Jesus was. Why does he use this long title? Because he, he wants to make sure that those receiving the testimony have all the information. That there's no mistaking who was dead and is now alive. That there's no mistaking that, that perhaps they went to the wrong tomb or, or perhaps um, they were confused about the situation or perhaps they were confused about what he actually had encountered. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He was dead, but now he is risen. You have the testimony of the evidence. The stone, it was a large stone. The ladies didn't think they could move it, but somebody did. <coughs> and as we noted, as we noted repeatedly when we look at this passage, the stone wasn't moved so Jesus could get it out. The stone was moved so that we could get in. So that we could see what God had accomplished. We could see the empty tomb. And we could hear the testimony. This is a big moment. And how do they meet this moment? With silence. They said nothing to anyone. Now, that sentence, that expression, that communication, that makes us uncomfortable. I'm sure it makes you uncomfortable. 
That's no way to end a gospel. That's no way to end the good news. And that's probably why we have the, the additional verses that we do in, in some of the older manuscripts. It's probably why we have the additional information that we have. It's because whoever was copying didn't feel comfortable with that being the ending of the book of Mark. But regardless of if the Mark actually does go on or into those other verses or, or if this is where he actually stopped, we need to be careful not to try and resolve this tension too quickly. To try and fix the fact that they were silent too quickly. To jump into, oh, but then they went told. We, we need to stop here for just a moment and witness their reaction. Hear what it is Mark is trying to tell us with that sentence. They said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. We'll look at that sentence here in just a moment. But what we need to see here is that with just like with every other situation where things change, what really matters about such moments is what we choose to do with them how we choose to respond to them. What we're going through right now as a nation, what we're going through right now as a church, what we're going through right now as individuals, it's bad. But the real difference is going to be made in how we respond to it, how we deal with it. And it's the question that Mark wants us to answer about the resurrection. How do we respond to it? That last word, they were afraid. It's an ambiguous word, actually, in the Greek. Mark uses it in several places, and it has two meanings. One is to be terrified, to be afraid, to be overwhelmed by the circumstances, situations. That is, you are scared to death, and so you are quiet. But the other meaning is to be filled with awe. That is, the quiet that you express, that the quiet that, that is a result of your experience is not out of fear, but out of awe. A recognition of what God has done, a recognition of what God can do. And I think Mark is purposely ambiguous here. Because he's wanting his readers to ask the question, which one am I? Which person, person am I? Am I the person who responds with fear and says nothing because I'm afraid of what people might think? I'm afraid of what my reputation, how my reputation might suffer? I'm afraid of what I might have to deal with? Or am I the person who responds with awe? A person who is encouraged, a person who is transformed, a person who is empowered by what we've seen, by what we've encountered? The awe that we experience in such moments does at first result in silence, but then at what? It leads to power. It leads to excitement. I want to tell somebody about the awe that I've experienced. And so the question we have to ask today is, how are we responding? When we see God work, when we see God move, when we read this text so full of power, so full of insight, so full of, of truth and, and encouragement and hope, how are we responding? I 
hope we're responding with awe. I hope that we're seeing it as a moment that deals with all of our fears. That deals with all of our sorrows, with all of our griefs. As the passage starts, we see that it is a moment that deals with our despair and with our sorrow. Mark is the only one that uses the phrase when the Sabbath was over or after the Sabbath. None of the other gospel writers give us that little note. And I think the reason Mark gives that to us is he's wanted to highlight they had just come through a day. Saturday. Day of worship for them. That was instead a day of great sorrow and fear. Their Messiah had died. The one they had denied was no longer with them. The one that they had run away from had passed. They just spent three years of their life walking with Him, laughing with Him, loving with Him, experiencing life with Him. And all of those hopes, all of those dreams, all of those visions of where this was headed had collapsed. And sometimes we find ourselves there as well. We lose loved ones. We find ourselves separated from others that we care deeply about. We find ourselves losing opportunities to pursue things we dreamed of pursuing. But this moment deals with that despair. This moment responds to that despair. So much so that this phrase here, when Sabbath was over, for us, now it's just a footnote. We don't even often recognize it when we're reading this passage. We don't, we don't even think about, oh, the Sabbath is over, okay. We don't think about the fact that they'd had a, a day of worship that wasn't, for them, probably worshipful at all. Why do we miss that note? Because Jesus is risen. And he has transformed that despair into victory. He's transformed that fear into hope. It's also a moment that deals with failure. You notice when the angel speaks to the women, he says, go, verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. Now, why and Peter? It doesn't have anything to do with his position or his authority in the church or anything like that. Mark was very close to Peter. In fact, most scholars believe Mark got most of his information for his gospel from Peter himself. And so Mark... He highlights Peter because he knows what Peter went through in the days that just preceded. He knows that Peter had rejected, denied knowing Jesus three times. He knows how that impacted Peter. He knows how that impacted his life and in his experience. And he's communicating to us that what Christ has accomplished has fixed that moment. It's fixed that failure. It's repaired that sin. 
1972, in St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, a man broke into the cathedral, went to the Piata, a famous statue by Michelangelo, and began to smash it with his hammer. And as people looked at that, that beautiful statue that had been smashed to pieces, there was, a, there was a question over, what do we do? What do we do with the statue? Do we just leave it that way? Do we store it someplace and hide it? Do we ignore? Do we, do we forget about it? No. They brought in the best experts. They brought in the people who, who could do the work. And with the utmost care and precision, they made that statue look like it had never been touched at all. And that's what Jesus does to our life. Sin comes in and it bashes us and it crushes us and it damages us. And we look at who we are and we look at what we've done and we wonder, is there any repair? Is there any fix? Is there, is there anything we can do with this? And sometimes people get in those situations and they think and they consider, maybe I just need to throw it all away. Maybe I just need to give up. But I want you to understand this morning, we all need to understand this morning that Christ comes in and He repairs us. He restores us to the image that God made us in. He makes us a beautiful recreation. A people who belong to God. So it's a moment that deals with despair. It's a moment that deals with failure. And it does that because it's a moment that fulfills His promise. Back in Mark chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus promised, He predicted He would rise from the dead. And now here the angel says in verse 7, just as He said He would. Defeated death. The tomb was empty. Death was robbed of its power. His action confirms his words. His words clarify his actions. He beat the best. He is the best. And because of that, we can rely on his promises today. His promise that he would never leave nor forsake us. His promise that he would return his promise that He would make all things new. This is what we stand on. This is where we find our hope. Why do we find our hope there? How can we find our hope there? Because He fulfilled the big one already. I'm going to come back from the dead. No one had ever done that. And yet He did. And because He did, we can stand in confidence about our own futures, about our own destinies, about our own directions. The same God... The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that directs our lives and guides our futures. I don't know what the future has in store from this virus or any other circumstances in your life, but I do know that Christ has the power to grant you deliverance, to grant you strength, to grant you hope, to grant you peace, even in the midst of the worst of the situations you may face. We face... Many decisions in our life. Some are mundane. What are we going to wear today? I started out in a jacket this morning. I was convinced that's what I was going to wear. No, not in this weather. 
I'm sweating in this. That's a mundane decision. That's an everyday decision. But there are decisions that alter the course of your life. And the biggest decision is how do you respond to what happened in that tiny province on the other side of the globe 2,000 years ago when death was defeated and Christ rose from the grave. That's what his call is to us today. It's to surrender to him, to find strength in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for each person that's here this morning. I thank you for what they mean to me. I thank you for how you are watching over them, caring for them. God, I pray that you would bless each one. I pray that you protect us from this dreaded virus. I pray that you would guide us in the decisions that we need to make, in the situations we need to face. Lord, help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Help us to be the ones that reflect you. Not in some fake uh, Pollyanna type perspective, but in a mindset that says, God is in control. And because Christ lives, I can face the future. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.